This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm great, dude. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Who do we have on the pod today? Well, we've got Professor uh, Frank Pillar uh, today, and Frank is one of the well number one authorities worldwide on mass customization. And mass customization is something that's like very ancillary to three D printing. It could be an enabler for three D printing. We could be an enabler. Uh, additive manufacturer could be an enabler for mass customization. So yeah, we want to really find out a lot more about that. He leads the Technology Innovation Management Group at uh, Aachen University. He worked uh, before at MIT Sloan School. Uh, and he's also uh, a part of the Institute for Technology and Innovation Management, at, uh, also at RWTH Aachen University. That's uh, kind of who we're going to talk to. So welcome to the show, Frank. Yeah. Hello, I'm Joris and Max. Happy to be part of that. Okay, perfect, perfect. So Frank, so first, so you're one of the leading voices and researchers in mass customization. You do a lot of other stuff besides, but that's really the, the, the meat and bones of, of what we want to talk about. So first, you know, what is mass customization? Yeah, how to define it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's actually funny that you're still asking it as a term is around for many, many years. And it was coined by Jeff Davis um, out of Boston, actually. And he combines the idea of mass production and customized, you know, craft production in one term. So the idea is that we can do customized products. So we'll come to this, could be also services probably later, um, at a price tag that is really affordable to everyone. As traditionally, if we customize, we really change to a higher segment, you know, much higher pricing. So the idea of mass customization is to have customizable, customized product services at an affordable price um, for the masses. Mm -hmm. So I think there's different things that are called mass customization. I don't know if you agree with everyone, but there's one where, like, I as a, like, uh, there used to be a lot of examples of this, but then I as a consumer, for example, designed my own shoe or would Mm -hmm. add, like, a coloration or a logo to a shoe, right? And there's others where where I would, like, for example, we get in in, in 3D printing a lot with, like, uh, hearing aids and dental and stuff where something is scanned and then is customized to, to, to my body, let's say. Absolutely. So, and, and then there is a terms like personalization, you know, mm-hmm. individualization, and so on. But what you just mm-hmm. said, I think, um, are perfectly the three dimensions of mass customization. Mm-hmm. If we talk about products, and mm-hmm. we can have customization with regard to the form, you know, the aesthetic design that could mm-hmm. be Nike ID color combination, mm-hmm. design my own T-shirt. Then we have customization with regard to function performance features. This is the main driver of customization in B2B environments. You know, I really would like to have a specific um, function. And then um, finally, it could be also fit and that could be made to measure, could be customized um, furniture, you know, that I would like to fit to an existing apartment dimension and so on. So form, Mm -hmm. fit and function are those Mm -hmm. three dimensions um, of customization. You wouldn't count, say, like, options on a on a car that you buy as being really customization so now (laughs) yes so and i would say actually we'll we'll change uh, my current definition of mass customization is we profit from the fact that people are different 
Mm. And traditionally, we see it as, as companies as a threat. You know, oh, people are different. We have high variety. We have high complexity. But we say, no, no, actually, it's a great business opportunity. And I would say as a customer, as a consumer, I don't care how you do it. I just want what I want. You know, actually, consumers don't want customization. They want what they want. And I can fulfill it out of a very broad solution space. But I can also fulfill it out of a modular product architecture where I just select, you know, um, among predefined options. Yeah, because, like, I think it's really interesting because on the, on the one hand, immediately when we, when the 3D printing people, when we learn about mass customization, it's like, okay, wait a minute. That's perfect. Like, in a molding world, a mass, uh, mass manufacturing world, they're really great at making million identical things we kind of suck at making a million identical things uh, but, <laughs> but we're really good at making like a million individual things so there seems to be like a natural marriage between 3d printing and mass customization absolutely and i think this is when we talked and this is how i came to three got my interest in 3d printing roles was that i first saw it's a perfect technology for mass customization but also the other way around mass customization is a perfect business case you know for 3d printing as in mm -hmm. 3D printing, I see customization or, again, functional performance, you know, mm -hmm. as a driver for, if we talk lightweight, product designs, and so on. But we actually did a study on this, on this option. So we, we showed literally hundreds of consumers. We gave them the choice of just pick a product from an assortment, a catalog. The second mm -hmm. was, we give you a traditional mass customization modular design so you can just pick among a few options. Or mm -hmm. we give you a toolkit with a free, you know, with, with sliders. We really can individually shape the design. We did it for cups and so on and actually produced mm -hmm. a lot of these items to show it. And there we showed that there's a big value increment for consumers to move from a catalog to mm -hmm. I have some options. But just a rather small value increment to this ultimate choice. As ultimate mm -hmm. choice often means also complexity of choice. You yeah, know? Uh, and really, so and then mass customization turns into mass confusion. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. We had a thing, we did some research about this too for, for companies. And mm -hmm. we were finding something that I call the blank canvas problem, where if mm -hmm. you gave a, a, a user more and more freedom, they'd like it more and more. And then at one point, they had what I call the blank canvas problem, where they were just so intimidated by all the options and this blank canvas, this all of the things uh, that they could be doing, mm -hmm. that they don't make any cho uh, choices. <laughs> so kind of a paradox of choice. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and absolutely. And actually, we also know from consumer psychology, you always should start with a fully equipped product and allow customers to add additional functionality mm. for a premium, as mm -hmm. you know, people don't like to give stuff away. So yeah. if you start with a blank canvas on top of the problem you, you just uh, mentioned, it's also you normally don't really reach the price point consumers actually would be willing to pay, you know, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. if you would just allow them to give them a, a pre-configuration and allow mm -hmm. them to start from this by adding a little bit. Yeah, so it's really funny. We're in the very beginning days at Shapeways, which is now like uh, 12, 13 years ago or more. Um, we were trying to figure out all these, we were trying to have, make these tools that in the browser would let people customize stuff with sliders. Mm -hmm. And this was costing a lot of money. And then one of my colleagues, Peter Paul, he made a thing where we made cufflinks and we just showed people the cufflinks in a photo and we just told them, put, a, uh, put in an a, 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 a initial 
right? Mm-hmm. Right. And then that was the first product that actually worked. <laughs> and, it, and it was like literally, uh, literally the, the, the thing was like, uh, it was like, it wasn't a much customization thing. It was mm-hmm. just like, it was like they were looking at a picture and like, oh, okay, I'll put my initials on it. Yeah, and it was and like this, the simplest thing. <laughs> yeah, and this is actually one of these paradoxes of mass customization. So we did a book a couple of years ago interviewing 25 entrepreneurs, you know, that all had a mass customization startup, many yeah. different success factors, but one dominating theme. They all said us, the less choice we offer, the yeah. more we were selling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we found that out too. Like, but, and, and, and here yeah. comes the caveat. Traditionally, and this is is very easy to say, but of course it's really, and this is one of the learning to find the right option, you know? And it's really as in our traditional thinking and and marketing, it's about, you know, we segment customers to make variants. Mm -hmm. And normally Mm -hmm. we always look for the things where customers are the same, you know, as then we put them in a segment and create a variant for them. For mass customization, we really have to find to these few people, to few things where people are different plus willing yeah. to pay for the fact that we serve them differently. And this is much yeah. easier said than done. It's really against the traditional thinking in marketing. Yeah, you don't know what options to give them and how my, many options to give them. And, and also, if there's, if there's people that are in that option, like because what you do notice, if you do get people, you get people kind of being like, like a lot of these, like it used to be a thing, this Mongolian shoe barbecue, Nike ID and stuff. And what you'd see is people would, make it very obvious, you know, they would make it very, nobody would go for like a nice smooth color combination. Like, uh, you know, they would mm-hmm. all go for like purple and green and blue, you know? Right. And it, it's like in your face. Enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but these are all the products you buy once and never again. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and a lot of mass customization business is, driven, is novelty driven, you know? Oh, I mm-hmm. have to show I can do it, mm-hmm. but I actually right. don't like it. And this is also what we found that these business models that really work are not just as based on aesthetic design, but really mm-hmm. on fit, you know, mm-hmm. or function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With one of my friends, for example, this is my, my, my favorite example. Like, okay, we do 3D printed glasses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a mass customization case. You walk in the store, it scans your face, and then it gives you a unique pair of glasses, right? Mm-hmm. So there's also startups that you choose, you have an app on your phone, and then you can you know, choose different glasses on your face. Now, the second thing, the choosing glasses virtually, to me, is a very exciting thing. I can understand that I can sit at home and see how the glasses online could fit me, you know? That, to me, makes sense as a consumer. But the first one, I've never had a problem with the glasses in the store that don't fit me. You know, as in the sizing. So I don't even know. We have this continual discussion with a friend of mine. Why do you need it? Why do you need this? Is it actually functionally? So I I, I don't see your face now and your glasses, but when I go, you know, to buy glasses, I really need Mm -hmm. them. Typical professor. Um, Then I can't really shop for glasses as I can't see the glasses if I don't have my original glasses Uh. on. Huge complexity of choice. And actually now the glasses I have, I went to a dictator. It was a very professional shop owner. And he said, Uh. Frank, these are the glasses for you, period. (laughs) And I was actually very happy with it, you know, as he reduced it. And I think yeah. now, if I have a clever chat, we would have an algorithm doing it, you know? We yeah. would have an algorithm understanding the dimensions of my face, perhaps asking me some questions about my taste, perhaps even my favorite music, you know, my favorite sports, yeah. and then make mm-hmm. a suggestion. And I think yeah. that's a much more meaningful configurator. And now we are already um, coming to the point that it's actually not the number of options we have or less choice, but the way how we present the choice. And I think mm-hmm. this was like in the early days of Shapeways and many 3D printing mm-hmm. sites where they just had these sliders 
it was a mm -hmm. very, very complex way to present oh, choice yeah. to consumers, uneducated yeah, yeah. consumers, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. You're dropped in the deep end, and it's like, okay, go for it. But also, we didn't know what we were doing, but at least we knew that we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but <laughs> so I think it was a, it was a time. But I think so. So if we're talking about this giving consumers choice, what are some more best practices? Because I thought it was interesting. Like if we're just talking about this, you know, the, let's say the design oriented uh, kind of mm -hmm. mass customization. What are some best practices there? I mean, how do I introduce? How do I explain it? First off, I've got to. Okay. Yeah. So, so there, uh, there, there, yeah. there are two ways, and the one is what we call the parameter-based configurator. You know, a choice mm -hmm. set. And this is really I present the options in a meaningful way, and mm -hmm. these are often rule-based systems. So, and they would customize the, the configurator in a way that once a consumer made started to make choice, I will recommend you know fitting options for the next dimension and so on. What we really know is not just that you really need visualization, but you also should communicate the value. You know, let's say, it's a little bit silly, but take the example of my glasses. Perhaps I get not just the visualization of the glasses, I see a price tag. Perhaps I get a measure on stability, you know, mm -hmm. and in dimension, mm -hmm. and I get something on nerdiness. Mm -hmm. And perhaps I can say, oh, I want a little bit more nerdiness or a little bit less nerdiness, you know? And, but that, I, would, yeah. I have to communicate value. And this is actually yeah. a mistake what's often not given to, yeah. to consumers. And then again, yeah. assuming that the level of nerdiness is exactly my yeah. the option I want heterogeneity. Yeah, but does that mean that something like that you would you would advocate for having something like that that's very unique or kind of like nerdiness or something like that or sexiness or something like that? It sounds like a really kind of like not really difficult to define, define value. It, exactly, and if it matters, and then actually I could increase, and we also have really good empirical research. It then I get my um, result, and then my result, and then I often consumers are willing to pay more if you say no one else will get this design. It's really ah, okay. unique yeah. to you. Just tick yeah. this box, you know, and in a parameter-based design, you have unlimited choices. So actually, the cost of doing this is very low. I um, don't see that a lot, actually. So I think that's a really good one to mention because I like that idea as a consumer, but I don't see mm -hmm. that a lot on these customization services that you can say, you know, claim this design or yours forever exactly, or something like that. Exactly. Also, what? what helps really for aesthetic is to allow your friends, you know, to, to save it, to communicate it in your social network and advice. Also, mm -hmm. always surprised how little this is supported. Um, mm -hmm. It's often I can share the design I purchased, but I can't mm -hmm. include you know, my social network in the design process, perhaps I would like it. Um, mm -hmm. Think of social shopping, you know, to have it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. big, big success factor, probably the biggest of all, we mentioned already, always start with a meaningful pre-configuration, you know. Yeah. And there was once, uh, there's a so customized dog food is a big yeah. category, actually. And yeah. there was a company that yeah. well, with a high willingness to pay. And they said some people um, customize dog, for, dog food as they have a performance dog, you know, for hunting and so on. Yeah. And others as it's really the pet, you know, on the sofa. And yeah. they had one discriminating question when you came with, and it was, you give your dog a Christmas present. Okay. And if you give your dog a Christmas present, they know we yeah. should show you very different options then if you say, no, not at all, it's a functional dog for hunting, you never get the Christmas yeah. present. So we really yeah. show you different options, you know, to really ah. try to segment the customer and, and yeah. start with these options that are meaningful. Now, of uh, course, I would say we don't need this any longer. Now we come what's the need-based um, configurator. Mm -hmm. I would say if I get access to your Instagram profile, 
Perhaps oh, uh, the algorithm <laughs> knows exactly what you like. Yeah. <laughs> is that uh, is that an effort though to reduce the option overload on some level? Like what is there a rule of thumb for how many options you can have on a single screen or a single Yeah, there demand? are yeah. some I think it's very much uh, Max dependent on the category, on your involvement, on the level of expertise. Right. If you are good so we did. We, we built a couple of um, configurators for clothing companies, and there it's actually you may have an expert no, mode. You know, if I'm mm. really an expert in in, in 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 shirts and I really live for my tailored shirts, I would give you more options. You know, and mm-hmm. if I'm an amateur, I actually would really like again my dictator, the advice. You know, someone saying right. this is exactly what fits you. And um, so it's contingency. But what I really think, and this is why I believe the future of customization just has has started, that we can use this kind of digital trace, you know, we nowadays have of consumers, this knowledge we have of consumers. We cannot just use it to personalize the advertisement we see, you know, but also to configure products we would like to purchase. Yeah. And is that like, can I do this in one brand? Like, would it be smart for me as like, one brand to have like an assistant or something or or is it better to just have like a kind of a nanny brand or a dictator type brand mm-hmm. where it's, it's dictated to you and then have another one that's much more like uh you know does that work in one brand to have these both these kind of paths yeah so it's again a big question for, i think for and, and many interesting things here so we we know that if there's a famous brand name it really helps you know it provides trust to customers and yeah. when Timberland started to allow to customize their shoes, and you could do pink Timberlands, it's a very it's a long story. And then yeah. they said, well, pink Timberlands, it will destroy the brand, you know, of the yeah. Timberland brand. It turned out was the best what they ever could do, as they really were reaching new customer groups, and they started mm. with the configurator, and then now it's a retail standard product, you know, Timberlands in all colors. And um, there are some, all attempts, however, failed. To have a customization brand, meaning a retailer that mm-hmm. offers customized goods, mm-hmm. you know, as customization is not a unifying, you know, variable. Mm-hmm. And so there were a couple of Amazons, Amazon clones, you know, online stores mm-hmm. that said, we are the place where you go for customized some things. Mm-hmm. If you want a customer, and this never took off as mm-hmm. consumers don't look for customization. Yeah, customization is an additional feature. I look for a shoe ah, and mm-hmm. I can customize it. So this makes for me much more sense than mm-hmm. saying I have the store for everything customized. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's interesting because I also noticed in these configurators, in these steps, like for example, like take the car companies. They have a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that I could order a Golf and it could literally be unique, right? We keep, <laughs> it's insane sure. that we, we, we can make these things unique. But what I have noticed is that sometimes in these kind of configurators, then you're like, then you like get the Designo Plus pack, and then you get mm-hmm. the Designo Plus pack, and then it says you lose the smoker pack back. You lose the, you, know, yeah. you lose the, <laughs> right, no more window, right? right? No yeah, more right. rear window. What? What? But this is really, a totally yeah. stupid system, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, I, I yeah. mean, it, it's some, there are some constraints in complexity management, yeah. and probably there's a logic behind, but really, yeah. I, 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 I doubt that the car company itself understands that logic any longer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not explaining it to the end consumer. So it's lost. Well, I just think it's really, you're really far away in the process. You're really far along. And then all of a sudden you do one choice that's kind of like 
do I want, you know, before it's like, do you want the mega plus stereo or there's the plus stereo? I'm like, oh, mega yeah. plus. That sounds good. And I then also I'm like, ah. Exactly. <laughs> so a lot is actually just marketing. And yeah. so BMW, perhaps as it's uh-huh. interesting, BMW is very good with this. So first uh-huh. two things. If you want to get, um, buy a car, never go before to an online configurator. It's normally you pay more. And now I talk about the European model, as in Europe, yeah. if you buy a new car, every yeah. car is configured to order. So yeah. You don't buy a new car from, your, from the stock of a dealer in general, mm. but everything is configured to order. And normally you go to a dealer and, mm-hmm. you know, they sit down with you in the showroom in the configurator and then they try to sell you these packages as it's much yeah. easier for you. BMW, mm-hmm. BMW um, um, realized if you go before to the online configurator, you, in the end, always pay 25% more. Why? Because <laughs> okay. you have more time to explore to the solution right. space, you know? And uh, a good configurator as a, cu- configurator as a customer education tool. And mm-hmm. then BMW did a second thing is you order and then you, let's say, you wait two months. And the two months they could use for really efficient scheduling, you know, in production. But they mm-hmm. allow you up to one week before the um you know you get the car to mm-hmm. change your configuration wow. why yeah. as they know you only will upgrade really you know? right you a lot of people i could imagine i could imagine you'd be afraid of that oh no what if he cancels this or something you know yeah no you can totally change your configuration as yeah. they say normally people just will add on additional you know features upgrade from the as you said radio to radio plus uh, from uh, the cheap navigation to the expensive super entertainment uh, program Wow, I think that's really exciting. I think, and I wouldn't have thought that a lot of stuff in mass customization is a bit counterintuitive. And now right. we'll come to, and if we continue this example mm-hmm. and talk about again already on the future of customization, perhaps in the future no one actually needs to customize a car hardware any longer, as all mm-hmm. of this is delivered by personalized oh. services. And if you look on Tesla, there's rather very little configuration opportunities for your Tesla on the hardware. But of course, everyone loves the big screen, you know, and how you customize the the services. And my prediction a little bit is for the future of the cars will go to Ford T's. You know, we will have a standard car produced really at the masses. However, the car will come with customized services and Uh we have it already with Audi and so you get mm-hmm. um, features on demand. I only mm-hmm. pay for 200 horsepowers. And if uh-huh. the highway is free, I get an additional 100 horsepowers for 12 bucks for the next yeah. hours. This is already possible. And this car comes with this beautiful sunroof. I get the sunroof for free. But whenever I want to open it, I pay five bucks. And if oh I my open it 20 times, <laughs> they're doing that. it. This is the software model. Oh, this is, this is like Adobe and all that. Where, exactly. Uh, so wait, do you? I mean, do you not own the sunroof anymore? No. Like, well, you own it after you open it for twenty times, and perhaps. Times, right. Yeah. But, no, but again, is... think about with regard to complexity. Yeah. If I just sell fully equipped cars, this was a Japanese model. You know, when Japanese uh, uh, cars uh, came Toyota, in the seventies, yeah, eighties, yeah. they were fully equipped, and this right. was a differentiating point. And they were much cheaper to produce as they don't have all the complexity and scheduling and on-demand manufacturing. Yeah. And no, then I, like I have the, instead of yeah. a car paint of the car, I have an OLED and I can actually, you know, change, change every color. color of the yeah. car electronically. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, so there are examples you made make it look like a hellscape, you know? Right. <laughs> saying, of course, honey, I'll roll down the window. Just a second. Oh, my credit card's denied. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to know, though, who's, who's doing it right currently? Like, yeah. what? who's the best at doing customization today? So it, 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 it often gets its question, In your opinion. and it's really <laughs> difficult. So first, we have to acknowledge there's not one big consumer brand that has an established mass customization business. Not one. There's Nike ID. It's okay. But if you close Nike ID today, no one will realize it on the balance sheet of Nike. No. And no one. Dell was a startup getting big, you know, with the idea of mass customization. but. There's not one existing established consumer brand coming for mass production that built a mass customization brand that reveals. All of them, they're big startups. So what I really like, I think a very good business model was this Zazzle, Cafe Press, um, and Spreadshirt idea, which realized actually the main target group for customization are not end consumers, but are lead users creative people that design a special niche product for a very small local niche, you know, perhaps for your club and so on. And so, so I heard there is this guy who they did a billboard, you know, in Boston on his personal thing, and it became a thing. So he can, this guy now can create his own t-shirt collection with his billboard, you know, he produced and sell it to his friends. And this is a market a traditional company couldn't capture. And this may be 100 people, you know, that buy this product. And this is, for me, a perfect customization uh, model that's much more scalable, you know, and as I said, companies like Zazzle, um, Cafe Press, Spreadshirt, are building on that and had some of the most successful business models here. Mm. Actually, I mean, Alibaba is doing it now on a big scale mm. in China. They have mm. two new, um, they call it Reno Dream Factories. And the idea is that every influencer on Instagram can have her own fashion line. Normally, if you have 2 million followers, a brand will come and give you a fashion line. But most influencers have just 5,000 followers. And they all can now create their own fashion line and sell it to their 5,000 followers. And this aggregated is a huge market. Yeah, I love this. I love this so much. The idea of like enabling all these people, which I think all, a lot of companies have been kind of doing this in, in in their own niches, but enabling these people with their thousand fans to, to 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 actually make money. You know, to not do something like diet pills, but to sell your own your own handbags and your own scarves. I think that's a really very exciting opportunity. Yeah, and in the US, you have um, um, what's it, Simpress. They are the owner of the Vista Print yeah. brand, which yeah, many yeah. know for business cards. And they are really a multi-billion dollar business from exactly this business model. They started, uh, you can get your own business card, but they enabled every graphic designer, not just, you know, who does uh, for his local business, a graphic design for stationery and so on, not just to sell the graphic design, but the products with it by using yeah. the Simpress platform for delivery. Yeah. Do you think that's going to, it seems to me that that could expand pretty much infinitely. Absolutely. Right. And this is for me, so, so it's like B2B to C2C, something like this, you know? <laughs> you have these things. And this is for me really, and I think also one of the big misunderstandings of mass customization is that it is really for end consumers. Yeah. 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 I think also, like, one of my favorite ones is there's a lot of stuff going on in the industrial world as well, like things like uh, Windows, right? Where the architect or the builder will mass customize a window. Like Twicket has a 
as a window application, which is just mm-hmm. for windows. And that's for architects working together with a window manufacturer to just make sure that all the, the sizes are right and then they get the right window. Absolutely. I think on industrial components, almost everything, sensors, you know, hydraulic drivers, they're all customized for a specific application. So actually the most advanced, if you, you probably don't know it, but it's a German company called Festo, and they Ooh, are one of the world Festo. leaders on hydraulic systems. They do, I don't know, let's say, 1 million products a day, and they don't know what they produce in two days. They have a trend, and everything is customized. It's a remarkable system. And it's super high throughput, super high customization, and very short delivery times. So I would say the most advanced manufacturing systems are are all in business-to-business, you know, for industrial goods. They also make amazing robots. Exactly, I just have to throw yeah. that out there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Festo's amazing. I generally like Festo, Festo a lot. But okay, so I like that industrial opportunity. I think one of the things we need to explore, I think, is the fit functionality. I think, to me, fit is the, well, first off, the biggest business cases in 3D printing. One of the biggest things, well, some of the biggest things we've done as a business, the bridges and crowns, the hearing aids, uh, um, all the dental stuff, uh, besides the metal bridges and crowns as well, and also Invisalign, mm-hmm. which does, I think, a quarter of a million 3D prints a day, mm-hmm. uh, where we're using 3D printing as an intermediate, uh, as, a, as a mold. And in these things, we're all getting like a fit. We're scanning a person, and then we're uh, and then we're going to fit them. And I think that's a huge opportunity for 3D printing, especially since people aren't that big. So we really tend to really like small objects uh, from an economic point of view. Absolutely. So, and, and the same you have if you think of furniture, you know, equipment for houses and so on, trimmings in houses, roofing. It's often a fit thing, you know, as I have an existing. There's a great um, story on, on, on servers, you know, um, data center servers. Often you have, you know, I'm talking not about Google size um, data centers, but really one that you have in, 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 you know, in an office building and so on. And their customers are really, it's, it's of course a function, but also the fit to the, the existing infrastructure you have. And um, often we actually don't even see it's a customization business if we have something made to measure, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think these are a lot of times like Invisalign was this huge thing that no one knew about. Nobody knew, no, everybody knew the product was there, but nobody, nobody even realized that it was going on. So I think that a lot of these things have, are very secret. But what we're seeing now, only many years after Invisalign, is that there's really an explosion in these kind of like uh, these similar type of startups. But still, like, for example, I'm, I'm really annoyed that I can't get like, there's not that many companies that'll give me uh, like hearing aids or uh, hearing aids is already well done. It's already well understood for a long time. Um, but for example, I can't get, or it's very difficult for me to get like custom made headphones. So we mm-hmm. haven't, we aren't seeing the development there as, as, as stuff is happening, but I would expect a lot more to happen. Is there a reason why, why that's yeah, happening? You have so any idea? It's, it's, it's a really interesting um, field. So I think one thing is that hearing aids are normally prescribed by a, you know, specific store and you're used mm-hmm. to wait for it. While mm-hmm. if I get headphones, it's a typical thing. I want them now, you know, and there's so much choice about it. And there were a couple of startups that really tried um, to go into the stage and it never came be- be- beyond mm-hmm. a niche. As first, one headphone, mm-hmm. you want perhaps a famous brand, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very brand driven thing. And then what I said earlier, of all the existing brands, I never understood what mass customization means as a business model. You know, they were not able to do the shift. So I think that's one of the elements. I would assume if one of the big brands and headphones would offer this as a yeah. service, you know, 
perhaps then it would take off. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I, I'm still amazed at how little, like, like the, the one one company tried. I think they did FDM or material extrusion for hearing mm-hmm. aids or, or for headphones. Which I thought was stupid, but but um, the, the, there was other things that I'm thinking. You you have the tooling, we have the software, we have a near mm-hmm. automated process. It's a we we understand mm-hmm. the costings of it. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything that would be easier to start a startup with than than any kind of intermediate molding application for uh thermoforming fitting the body type of startup it's just everything is there you could just go to a company and buy all the infrastructure you need i i would totally agree but then we would have a startup you know with no name and i would say well then i better go for sennheiser or bozer or whatever however mm-hmm. why is not bozer you know or, or sennheiser or even apple starting this you know, yeah. as again, you would always compete to these piles of stocks they have already. You would start yeah. a fight with your established yeah. retailers, you know, that are yeah. not able to offer it. Mm-hmm. So and this is why they mostly do it just for a PR thing, you know, but never yeah. spend yeah. it. Yeah. I was going to say, also, it's, it's more complicated than that in the sense of, like, to customize on a body part, you need to either scan it or do something. Mm-hmm. So someone needs to go into a physical location. Mm-hmm. theoretically or mm-hmm. you, they mm-hmm. need to have a certain level of iphone or android phone that can do a 3d scan mm-hmm. well enough that you could then use it and it starts to become much more difficult to actually engage the consumer at that point i would think no i i agree there probably would be solutions like giving you a special foam you put in the air and then this mm-hmm. is sent yeah. in and scanned so if someone i think really would like want it there would be a solution for it. But again, perhaps the additional value is not, you know, not big, big enough. enough. You know? Perhaps yeah. it's just the tech <laughs> push thing. Joris, as you say, all the tech infrastructure is there. It does not mean there is a market for it. Producer Jake checking in here. I have a very specific subject matter <laughs> in this yeah. specific product because I was at Bragi from 2016 to 2018. Part of the issue was... Uh, in yeah. delivering that product, and we worked with Starkey on that specific product, is one, you did have to go into a physical location. And then mm-hmm. two, Apple bullied us all over production <laughs> lines in China. So we couldn't make that product very affordably. And Apple took a major loss on the, Airpo- on the AirPods to win market share, at least early on with the wireless buds so they can boot everyone mm-hmm. out of that space. Apple's pocketbooks basically eliminated the company. The company still exists as a software provider, but as a hardware provider, Apple took profit from its iPhones and profit from elsewhere in its company. I think Samsung's done the same and put it into dominating that market. And as a Mm -hmm. startup, you don't necessarily have the same leverage to negotiate with a production line Mm -hmm. overseas. And then on top of that, you you can win virality. We won virality in 2015, 2016. But in terms of execution, you have absolutely no room for error. And if Apple doesn't buy you out or steal your IP, um, you you've got no room, you got no margin to pull it off. Yeah, that's what I didn't say. No, but that's very interesting. That would mean that they well, we all know Apple plays hardball. That's right, right? <laughs> I mean, right. I don't, I don't think anybody is thinking like Apple's like la 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 like a bunch of Care Bears or something. <laughs> but um, but but would you say that that like deters innovation in your opinion then? Well, the story you heard is one, you know, you often have if you have a big incumbent. Um, I still would think if there really would be a great case, you know, for um, for customized 
um, airports. And then this, the startup of Jacob would have used a different supply chain, not the Chinese one, mm -hmm. yeah, but like the materialize or whatever, a big 3D mm -hmm. printing supplier mm -hmm. that could be something also where Apple would have said, we never saw that niche. But again, mm -hmm. I would say the average consumer is just for them, the Apple branded iPod is good enough, you know, I have mm -hmm. headphone and, 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 and that's it, you know, perhaps um, mm -hmm. we actually, there's not the pain point. Perhaps mm. what's even more ne meaningful is, you know, an app that really is adjusting the sound level on mm. that so that it's really fitting to my, you know, specific hearing demands, music favorites, something on that. Mm. I think there's much more open consumer pain on really adjusting, you know, mm. the, the, the bass levels, the, the, you know, mm. um, all these music um, right. things than just the hardware. Yeah, yeah, I think it's interesting, but also like, so the corollary to this is like we would expect at one point that with 3D printing, we keep telling people like, there's no stock, there's lower barriers to entry. We only make when we get an order, right? So there is like, you know, there is a way that maybe if you set up your business right, you can actually compete very well against a, a, an incumbent by by having you know by not having that stock, by not having to order everything, by not having to tie up so much capital. Or do you believe that's a bit too fanciful for for, for very complex things? So I think this will definitely happen and consumers actually will not realize that the product is just produced for them. And a very good example mm. for this is 2D printing, you know, on book printing. If you buy a, a bestseller, well, it's on stock. But for most trade books, actually, where Amazon says just one or two items on stock, it's a pure lie. Often nothing is on stock as all these books are printed on demand in the warehouse. So a lot of really these trade books are printed on demand and I don't realize it. And actually they could customize it for me, you know, put whatever picture customized for me. It would be exactly the same cost, but I just order the standard book and instead mm -hmm. of having it in on stock, they just print it on demand, even in hardcover. So, and I think this is probably a system that I foresee would come much more often. We, mm -hmm. we have now a big, especially after Corona, a big surge in localized production, you know, that we say this is, um, mm -hmm. supply chains are disrupted and so on. So we, we, we have a big, big movement back to localized manufacturing. Then 3D printing, 3D knitting and so on are perfect mm -hmm. technologies. But very often we may not even communicate, you know, mm -hmm. um, these to the end user um, mm -hmm. but just use it for more efficient supply chain management yeah, i love the idea of just starting like uh, you know instead of like spending two years starting one brand you spend one two years starting 20 brands right mm -hmm. all right. different niches like a tight niche you get like german engineers uh mm -hmm. who like the whatever portion on 11 make them the mm -hmm. ideal glasses for them you know so so it's so a really tight like kind of instagram type brands that you tightly mm -hmm. advertise and then you make one and, and then you and, don't sell any? Okay, well, next, you know. Absolutely. And, and, and this is actually where I originally thought jumping companies like Shapeways and so may move yeah. to, you know, that they really mm -hmm. offer a platform, yeah. a manufacturing platform, not a product platform, but really a manufacturing yeah. platform for all these niche businesses. Yeah, no, that was, uh, <laughs> we weren't the only person with that idea. <laughs> 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 but but um but um the kind of idea the connection to the the like imagine being in between an entrepreneur an inventor and a marketeer bringing them together maybe even virtually 
mm-hmm. to, 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 to make these brands and make them, uh, you know, because it is a bit of a lottery if you look at it. I mean, Max made a bunch of toys and all these things. You understand how, I think more than most, that how difficult it is to get things to market and how difficult it is to get the, 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 the value proposition just right. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, often you're, you're right, Joe, that a lot of people think like you have an idea and then you just go to a factory and say like, make this, but there's a ton of like work that has to be done in that. And that's even before you get trying to get it into like physical retail, for example, is another whole headache in the sense mm-hmm. that what a buyer at a Walmart or a Target mm-hmm. thinks is not necessarily what the populace mm-hmm. thinks. And so yeah. they're often, they force you to change your product because mm-hmm. they think it needs to be changed. Yeah. But it's not what you think, but you've got to do it if you want to sell it at their store, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even packaging and making it desirable and stuff like that. Um, so it, it is interesting. And the internet has made this whole thing a very different process because now mm-hmm. you, if you can make it work on the internet where you have a bit more freedom, you can point to that when other people are like fighting you and say, well, X number of people have bought it. So clearly there's mm-hmm. a market for it. Proof of market is, I think, one of the most important things yeah, to get yeah, people exactly. to fall in line for this stuff. Yeah, but imagine you only sell, like, for example, I've also thought of this. Imagine you made like a thousand prototypes. You try to sell them. You make a loss on them, right? Because it's all 3D printed, right? And because uh, it's too expensive, whatever. And then, and, but then you, do, you go to somebody and you say, look, I need money. Lend me the money so I can make the mold and I can make a million of them because I've already sold a thousand of them in 24 hours. <laughs> right? That kind of thing. Like, maybe it's a bad example, but you understand the idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's called Kickstarter. Except yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's what yeah. I did. Well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. They even don't have to produce it. You know, you just yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You only have to produce one prototype. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> you know, rendering is a rendering. So you have to produce. No, no, they call that paperware. You're not allowed <laughs> to. But, but uh, I think what Max said earlier about you know the packaging. I think also no. this. You may have a standard product, but then perhaps no. if you put it to retail, packaging really matters. So why no. not yeah. there have a Simpress, you know, Vista Print like yeah. platform? Exactly. It really yeah. helps you to play around with lots of packaging variants. You know for your testing and, yeah. and put this into shelves so it could yeah. be also mm-hmm. on, on on that dimension on the product yeah. with vacuum forming i've, I've been yeah, that also mm-hmm. would work totally a lot i think uh, but but about this fit thing i mean i think i think we did talk about this earlier i mean i i thought about like you need to get a scan right or you need to get some kind of an impression that you scan you need to get that involved process and mm-hmm. people have been trying to do it with like your ipad your iphone we've been talking mm-hmm. about the iphone becoming a scanner for years now mm-hmm uh, theoretically, it is, but there's not a lot of apps coming out to support that. Um, you know, do you think that the the the, the mass customization is waiting for the iPhone to three D scan everything properly? Is is that the the big thing, or do or, people need or, to figure out? Or there's because there's like shoe companies where they send you a piece of clay or whatever exactly. phone, and you put your foot into it, and then you send it back to them, and they use that to make the insoles. Oh. Is that What's the better way? <laughs> is there, a there are way? many, many things on that. So I would say yes for, for fit again, you know, for style. Um, it could be a solution um, for, for all products you have at the body for this glass where, and where not picture is not enough. Mm-hmm. Again, if you really would like a custom-made suit, mm-hmm. probably the pictures I produce, even when all what I know about the technology of an iPhone will be not good enough. Mm-hmm. But Perhaps for this custom-made suit, it's also part of the experience to go to someone, you know, who really takes my measurements, gives me a nice cup of champagne. And then once I had these measurements, I may go back online, you know, and really do the aesthetic design. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and, well, and so on and play around this. So also that idea of having perhaps, you know, 3D scanners at the gym, you know, yeah. at a swimming pool where you're naked anyway, go just yeah. in your bathing suit into the scanner. Have uh, it yeah. I think there are even some people are saying, why not have the security scanner at the airport? You know, to take a body scan <laughs> oh, and use this for customized clothing. I've seen products out there where it's like a mirror. Um, mm -hmm. And it it does a preliminary scan, and the idea is that it's meant to go mm -hmm. into a yeah. retail um, clothing store, and then you can see the clothing on you, yeah. without yeah. having to actually put the yeah, clothing those, on yeah. you. Well, I'm, I'm part of a startup here in Düsseldorf, Doop, and we do actually, we started with 3D printed figurines, you know, like mm, several yeah. of them. We have a very high-end scanner. In the moment, there are like 30 locations around the world where we have it. We are building on a self-scanner that is mm. like, you, you, you remember these cheap photo booths you had at a railway uh, station? Yeah. So we are building yeah. a body scanner that should be as a, as a booth, you know, at the railway yeah. station to get your scan to make an avatar. Probably not so mm. much to be 3D printed, but just for an avatar for gaming, for metaverses, and so uh, on. So, so you want, you want is, young people to get naked at a train station? Frankly? Well, no, no, no. You can do it in your we'll do it in your clothes, and we can. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> well, sure well, some idea, young dude. people would like to, depending yeah, on the level of echo. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> but this, I think, this raises though the fundamental problem with with the fit yeah. mass customization of that. Yeah. It has to be easy. To get the measurements, otherwise you're going to lose a lot of consumer. Because if it's absolutely. not easy, they're not they're not willing to put the effort. No, absolutely. And again, their big data may help. There's a wonderful, also why I would say best practice, Bivolino out of Belgium, but they they are like a white label for many custom shirt businesses, also famous retailers, and they really brought down that process of taking with a tape, you know, certain measurements at your mm -hmm. upper body for your custom shirt, which no one gets right. They just ask you four questions. And this is enough for them to have a good enough shirt, you know, that's better than the standard shirt by just getting four easy measurements you normally have when they have a patent. But I think we also need more, you know, creativity by not say we need the max amount of data, you know, mm -hmm. but just having meaningful and match this to pattern. And again, they don't give you a perfect fit shirt, but once wow. it is truly good enough, you know, for the, for the guy who is buying a custom-made shirt online. Uh, I think no, it's really, that's true. It's very interesting. I think when I was at Ultimaker, like Eric, it was a, a Ultimaker yeah. co-founder, was getting involved with these enable hand, the customization mm -hmm. with enable hand. And we thought we'd have to mass customize the thing, right, to get the files to let everybody make these enable hands. And then it turned out you just needed one measurement of the cross section of the the hand or the or the arm. And that's it. And then you would just have a number of sizes, and the number of sizes was very discreet. It was like about ten. <laughs> we're like, oh. exactly. <laughs> so that's actually really easy. Okay, <laughs> so we don't need to do it. That it wasn't that complicated. You just had to scale it correctly. So exactly. sometimes it's it, we're, we are all unique, but we're not that unique. You know? that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have to say, ignoring the data privacy side of it, the idea of using um, your social media platforms in order to determine what might fit and style and things of that nature, I think is also very good because it eliminates the, the choice problem that you mm -hmm. often encounter that if you have too much choice, you get overloaded. And you're just like, yeah. But, <laughs> but couldn't you go the other way as well and make it a, imagine you had like a Puma running clinic or whatever, mm -hmm. right? You go in, the guy measures your gait, the way, the, the way your foot uh, moves, he scans you and everything like that. 
And he tells you that, uh, you know, you need to walk straight or your run position should be a little bit different. That could be cool. That could be a good service they could offer. That and then Puma forever would have my correct sizes, right? But, but, I'm at but, home. but, but we uh-huh. did exactly the same with Adidas. Yeah. And actually, and this is where I totally failed in my mask customization <laughs> work. Oh, good. Very good, I was very good. With Adidas right and these me Adidas side to customize yeah. shoes and so on for many years. Yeah. And we always were thinking exactly should we offer more a fit option, a more color option, you know, a new cushioning. Yeah. However, the real pain point of consumers is not the shoe, but it's about using the shoe. And mm-hmm. after then, they offered something like Nike Plus. There was an editor system that helped you to customize the usage of the shoe you're running mm-hmm. and give mm-hmm. you a personal trainer for $2.99 in form of an app a month. This was mm-hmm. much more of a success as the open pain point was not actually about shoe, but about mm-hmm. running. And this right. is what, where we totally failed. And this is why I'm also today, I, li- I love the idea of the running clinic. And they actually, mm. with, but then I give you a smart shoe, you know, and uh, then mm. I will customize the sensors in the smart shoe that they really right. fit to this and that they are complementary to your Fitbit or Garmin, you know, to the mm-hmm. data I get for your Apple Watch. As there are some data I only get from the shoes to really, mm. you know, help you to do a marathon or whatever, you know, to be more mm-hmm. healthy and running. And so on. Yeah, I think or that's very exciting. Or doing whatever sport that you're doing to help. Yeah, that is yeah. exciting. I'm saying that you can use it for other sports besides like yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. no, toy, yeah. toy, toy, toy. <laughs> they are doing stuff like this with cameras and 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 yeah. professional athletes. This is and... actually where, where I see really the, the future of customization isn't smart products. If you think, why do we have a smart products? You know, connected products, either for pure efficiency or for customization. The use case of a smart product is customization in the end or personalization Mm -hmm. of a service. And this is why I think and where there's huge opportunities to know, to use the knowledge we also have about mass customization, you know, on on smart products as they are for me the perfect vehicle for customization, which may be bad news actually for the 3D printing community as against (laughs) smart products we do in traditional old mass production technologies. Right. <laughs> no, I think so. Yeah, I think, but I think I think there's a I think there's a the software part will 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 also deliver a lot of value. Obviously, exactly. I mean, so I think that's true. And we did what we didn't really get to talk about today was like the the the, the function, like mm-hmm. exploring the function of that. I'm really excited about handles, sports handles for golf mm-hmm. racket, golf tennis rackets, whatever that kind of stuff. Is there a lot of good functional examples of functional customization out there where we're seeing like an individualized, mm-hmm. in my example that I always take, and I always keep using it in the hope that somebody will do this, um, is like I look at my golf game or something like that, and I, I, and I get a racket or I get a club mm-hmm. that, that improves the golf game. Like, mm-hmm. Are there stuff like that happening? Are your good examples of functional Yeah, it's happening. And, and I think especially golf, people always blame it to the equipment, not to their play, right. to themselves. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. So there's a big market opportunity. So there are some, you have s- smart golf clubs, there are customized golf clubs, customized mm-hmm. handles. Again, they always stayed in a niche, you know, as mm-hmm. there you need the measurement problem. But again, I would say, Perhaps in the future where we have a smart golf club that really gets with sensors some knowledge about yourself, perhaps mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. having one tour of golf with your buddy taking some pictures, you know, videos, how you play, an algorithm mm-hmm. that makes sense of this, and then we can give you, give you really a custom-made golf club. I think there mm-hmm. is this new technology coming up with a combination of tracking how you play, doing some mm-hmm. videos, you know, on really getting this data acquisition problem. 
I think that's really exciting. I think that's really exciting. Frank, so thank you so much for telling us so much about mouse customization. It was really wonderful. A lot of fun. No, thanks for inviting me. I truly enjoyed it. Oh, perfect. I'm so glad. And and thank you, Max, for, for, for coming once again. Oh, always. This was very stimulating. Okay, very good, very good. And thank you, old Jake, for recording. And and thank you guys for, for, for listening today. And uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod, and my name is Oris Beals. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.